All right. Thanks, Pastor Bill. Appreciate it. You guys excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? You sure? All right. All right. Uh, we had to add chairs in our first service, so you guys need to get you know you guys need to get get going. All right, bring some visitors next week, uh, or just steal from first service. Okay, it's totally legal. So just uh, talk to first service people and tell them how much better second service is. Right? You guys for that? With that? All right. Yeah. All right. We got some. We need to have some service pride today. All right. We'll work on that later. Uh, it is good to be with you. My name is Pastor Jake. Uh, if you're new here, I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks. Sunday is the best day of the week because it's church day. We get to hang out with you. And uh, so I'm glad you've joined us. If you have your Bible, you can head over to uh, the book of Jude. That's where we're going to be camping out for a while. We're in the second week of our series uh, called Small Fry. And this is a series where we're just going through uh, some of the more overlooked books of the New Testament. And this idea of small fry uh, is that we kind of look at size and uh, and we kind of think, well, if they're small, they, we kind of underestimate them. We kind of say they're not important or they're not uh, powerful or uh, meaningful or impactful or whatever. You're just a, kind of a small fry. And we do it with people literally based on size, which is sometimes a mistake, maybe all the time. And uh, we also do it with books of the Bible. We, we look at these small books and we think, well, it's not, it's not that important. Otherwise, it'd be, it'd be longer, right? And so uh, we do that. And uh, a lot of us can find like Psalms and Genesis in the Old Testament, but we struggle to find Haggai and Amos, right? Uh, a lot of us know where uh, the Gospels are, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we can get there and we've studied those and we even have some of those verses memorized, but we really struggle to find Philemon or uh, Second John, but Second John's after First John, so that's pretty easy to find, right? Uh, so we, we started this first, uh, the first small fry last week, Jude, and we're going to spend uh, five weeks in Jude altogether, and we just talked about the main idea of this letter from Jude last week, which is fight for faith, and if you missed last week, make sure you go online on our website, get the message there, go to iTunes, get the podcast so that you can understand this in context, but today Jude writes about why we fight for faith, why are we doing this, he talks through the reason that he's gotten so riled up and kind of stood up and pushed his chair back from the table, like he's going to defend someone honor and uh, why is he doing this he gives us the reasons and the reasons are not just for Christians in the first century these reasons uh, have to do with us today uh, right here um, as well and and we ended last week with with verse 4 and there was this statement in there that's a little hard to understand and I said we'd try to tackle it this week and Jude is talking about these creepy creepers you remember that He's talking about these creepers that are creeping into the church or have already crept into the church and, and they're unnoticed and they're perverters of grace and they've, they've uh, said that we don't have to follow Jesus anymore and there's all this, these creepy creepers that are coming in and, and he says that they long ago in verse 4 were designated for this condemnation. They long ago were designated for this condemnation and these people here now were designated for destruction long ago. So what does that what does that mean? Well, let me, let me kind of explain this way. Ecclesiastes uh, famously says there's nothing new under the sun, right? And uh, 1 Corinthians 10 says that no temptation has overcome you except that which is common to mankind. No temptation has overcome you except that which is common to mankind. In other words, uh, you, you're not going to be able to find a new way to sin. 
Uh, The problems you have in your life are not unique or original. Originality is is something that's founded in in self-pride and self-exaltation. And um, there's nothing new under the sun. Every trial, every sticky situation, every problem that you face, every attack from outside of the church, every attack from within the church that threatens to tear us apart, it's all happened before. There is no temptation that has overcome you except that which is common to mankind. As mankind, we keep stepping in the same piles we've stepped in for centuries, for thousands of years, right? We, we keep doing the same things, making the same mistakes. We fall in the same pits. We fight the same fights. We do this over and over. Jude is saying in verse 4, and, and he's going to expound on this in the next few verses, that this stuff is not new, and it doesn't surprise God. It's not a surprise to God. This is how history works. Not only do we do the same things over and over, not only does history repeat itself, but the people of the past seem to pop up in the present, do they not? I mean, you can even just think about it. All of us can, in our imagination, place ourselves in the past and find people that were just like us, made the same decisions we did, faced the same problems we faced, handled them the same way we handled them. And even in your own life, in your own lifetime so far, each of us can look at people and we can find in our history, our short history on earth, that we've dealt with the same people over and over, Right? The same people, same problems, same sin coming against us, same issues with us. We can look back and we can go, yep, there they are again. And yep, there they are again. Same people, different faces, right? Same people, different names. They say the same things, act in the same way. Their sin is the same. They just have different names and faces, same people. Jude is saying here, this has happened before. This is not new. These people that you're dealing with are those people. And they've been designated for for destruction from the beginning. He's pointing back to the past and he's kind of tying things together to help us get ready to fight and figure out why we need to fight. And if if you stop at verse 4, you don't really know who, who he's talking about or what he's talking about. But if you keep reading, he gets very specific, Jude does, which I love. Because our issue in church today is, is leaving things at vague and ambiguous, right? That We love that. If you can leave it vague and ambiguous, then I don't have to do anything, right? It's easier that way. But when we get specific and we get serious about something, we get down to the nitty-gritty, now I've got to make a decision. Am I going to follow this command or not? Am I going to follow this truth, believe this truth or not? But we love just vague, lofty things. We love little cliche-ish sayings, little pithy sayings that we can put on bumper stickers, right? We love bumper sticker theology. Like the bread of life never grows stale. What does that mean? Nothing, right? It means nothing. But we love those kind of things. We put them on walls and we put them on the back of our car. And we, if we can keep it vague and ambiguous, all the better because then we don't have to actually do anything. Jude gets very specific. He's trying to get his readers then and now to stand up and fight for faith because there are forces within the church that are threatening to tear it apart. There's a lot at stake And he's not going to beat around the bush. He says, 
Beloved, make no mistake, these people are those people. And then he gives us six examples. Six examples of the people that have shown up in the past but are now showing up again in the church today. Six parallels to help us recognize the severity of this whole thing. Let's jump into it. It's verse 5. Look at verse 5. Jude 5 says this. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people, saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. I love um, that he says that Jesus saved the people out of, out of Egypt, right? Because a lot of times we think of Jesus as kind of beginning with the Gospels, right? Matthew is when Jesus comes in. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew. Jesus comes in. But it's not true. Jesus has always existed, right? He's uncreated. He's been here since the beginning. Actually, that's not even a fair statement. He's been here since forever. (laughs) He has no beginning. Our God, our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, has existed as a triune God forever. He is uncreated. He has no beginning, right? I love how Jude says Jesus is the one that led them out of Egypt. And he's He's pointing back to Numbers 14 when a whole generation of Jews rejected God. And this whole thing kind of reminds me of the fact that it, Jesus is always the right answer in church, right? Like, if, if you don't know, just say Jesus because that's always right. Uh, it reminds me of the, the kids pastor who was teaching a, a Sunday school lesson and he wanted to use uh, kind of a picture of working hard and he chose an animal. And he was going to kind of use it as a theme for his lesson and kind of get the kids to understand that we got to work hard and we got to save and we got to work whatever. And so he's, he started with a game. He goes, I'm going to describe something to you kids and you, you tell me what I'm describing. You take guesses. Raise your hand and guess. And he goes, he starts and he goes, well, uh, this thing that I'm descri- describing lives in trees and eats acorns. Nobody raised their hands. He's like, huh, okay. Um... It has a big bushy tail, and it's gray or, or brown. Still, nobody raises their hands. They're looking around at the other kids like, what, what's he talking about? The guy's thinking, what is wrong with these kids, right? So one more, he goes, ah, it chatters a lot when it gets excited, and it kind of wags it, moves its tail around when it gets excited, and one kid finally kind of tentatively raises his hand. And the guy's thinking, oh, finally, breathes a sigh of relief. Like, okay, what is it? And the kid goes, I know the answer must be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. (laughs) Right? The answer is always Jesus in church. Who parted the Red Sea? Jesus. It's indirect, but it's correct, all right? It's correct. Jesus did it. Jude says Jesus is the one who led the Israelites out of Egypt. And in Numbers 14, a whole generation of them rejected God. And listen, this is important. These people had already been recipients of God's grace. They did not know God. They had already seen God do these amazing things. He had already saved them from Egypt. He had already been faithful time and time and time again. God saved. God spoke. God was visible in their midst. God had done these amazing miracles and rescued them, but they did not believe. God gets them all the way to the promised land And they refuse. You know the story. They send some spies, 12 of them. 10 of them come back and say, we can't do it. 
We're grasshoppers compared to these people. They will kill us. They will defeat us. There is no hope. We shouldn't go forward in the promised land. Two of them say we should still go. Moses says, God wants us to go. He's going to take care of us. You can trust God. He's the same God who got us out of Egypt. He'll save us here. He, he parted the Red Sea. He'll fix this. He's the God who gave us manna and water from a rock, and he's going to take care of us. But the people say no. They refused to go ahead. And, and Jude's point here is that they were judged. They were destroyed. God speaks to them in Numbers 14 and says, Your dead bodies will fall in this desert. Your children will suffer in the desert for 40 years because of what you're doing right now until the last of your dead bodies lies on the desert floor, God says. And that's exactly what happens. The Israelites are made to walk in this big circle for 40 years in the desert until that generation dies off and the next one enters the promised land. And the warning here from Jude is that this is not an isolated event. This is not a one-time incident. He's saying that is this. The past is repeating itself. There are those in the church refusing the direction and the word of God out of fear. They do not believe. This is why you must fight for faith. Stand up and fight. There are people within the church today who disobey God and lead others to out of fear and lack of faith. They may have experienced God's provision before, but somewhere along the way, they've lost their faith. That doubt has crept in. There's, they're, they're one of the ten spies that comes back, and, and they're saying, we've got no shot. doesn't matter what God said. doesn't matter what God has done. doesn't matter how strong he is. He's not strong enough to defeat these people. We don't trust him. We don't believe. It's better to stay here in the desert. Stand up and fight for faith. Beloved, do not follow fear and unbelief to your death in a hot desert. Don't do it. Don't do it. Look at the next verse, the next example with me that Jude throws out. In verse 6, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. If you haven't already figured it out, today's message is not cotton candy and rainbows and unicorns. It's just not. But if you get mad today because I stepped on your toes, you're mad at Jude, not Jake, all right? I say that with me. Jude, not Jake, all right? Because we're just studying Jude, right? I'm off the hook. This is a difficult message today, but it's still true. So Jude is reaching back into the past, and he's saying that this is all happening today right now. And he grabs his, this example of the Israelites, and he talks about fear and lack of faith. And then he kind of wads that up, and he tosses it out, and he reaches back into history, and he grabs another example. This time it's the angels who rebelled against God's authority in heaven. Their sin was not fear. Their sin was self-reliance and pride. They thought they were good enough, strong enough, mighty enough to live apart from God and even to take glory from him. And Jude is saying there are people within the church today who disobey God and lead others to out of pride and self-reliance. And they might be, uh, but they might not be as brazen as the angels were who rebelled against heaven. They might not say it that way, but they live in such a way that they rely on themselves instead of themselves instead of God. 
when making a decision of any magnitude, they, in their daily lives, they don't, they don't take the time to ask God. They don't take the time to pray. They don't ask God what he would want, his wisdom, his knowledge, what he would have them do. They don't do that. And this can happen to people who have been Christian a long time. Like our, our American ideals of individuality and, and a self-made man can, can creep into Christianity pretty easily. And pretty soon, we can't think of the last time we spent a concerted amount of time in prayer over any decision. Asking for godly wisdom, asking for his leading, asking for his direction. Jesus said to pray, give us this day our daily bread, right? Give us this day our daily bread. But most of us, we're like, nah, I don't need to pray for bread. I got lots of bread at home in the cupboard, in the pantry. I got plenty of bread. I don't need to pray for bread. I don't need God for bread. I have bread. I don't need God for a job. I, I kind of figured that out myself. I got my own job. I, I don't really need God for my monthly income. I've, I've got that figured out. I don't really need God for, to help me make decisions. I'm a smart guy. I make good decisions all the time. I don't really need God for those things. It may not be as outward and as brazen as the angels who rebelled against God, but it's the same thing, right? Pride and self-reliance. Jude is saying, beloved, do not follow pride and self-reliance into eternal chains in gloomy darkness. Don't do it. Fight. Instead, stand up and fight for faith. So he goes, this is nothing new. And he reaches into the pages of history to prove his point. He's being very specific and he's not done. He tosses out the last example and he grabs another one. Look at verse 7. It says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So he goes, fear and lack of faith, pride and self-reliance, and now it's sinful desire. The, the Sodom and Gomorrah account is in Genesis 18 and 19. You can check it out this week when you have some time. But Abraham's nephew is visited uh, his name's Lot. He's visited by angels who tell him that they're going to destroy the cities for their sin. They're going to destroy um, Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and God's wrath is going to come on them. And, and while they're there, these angels are, are with Lot. The men of the city come, and they surround his dwelling. And they don't know they're angels. They think they're men. And they surround his dwelling, and they are demanding that Lot give up these people so that they could have sex with them. This is a place of sin without restraint, appetite without boundaries. Jude is saying there are people within the church today who disobey God and lead others to out of sinful desire. This one's not complex. It's not complicated, right? They just want what they want. They rationalize around their sin so that they can just keep doing it. They want to have sex with whoever, whenever. So they say that God's grace is sufficient for that, God created him with them, them with this desire, so it must be okay. They want material things, new cars every year, piles and piles of trinkets that they don't need. So they say, this is God's blessing. It's okay, because this is God's blessing. They rationalize their greed and their materialism. And, and you can't look at this Sodom and Gomorrah story anymore and go, well, we're so far from that. You can't look at that and go, well, we're not even close to that. 
Not anymore. Aren't we close to Sodom and Gomorrah? We might already be there, right? When we look at Sodom and Gomorrah, compare it to our day and our culture, our time, we are so close. We're probably already there. In the end, in the Sodom and Gomorrah passage, God rains fire down on them. And everyone, men, women, and children, are burned to death. Jude's warning us, beloved, do not follow sinful desire into eternal fire. Fight for faith. Stand up and fight. Look at the next verse. Verse 8, yet in like manner these people also are relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious one. So Jude has gotten three of six examples from the past saying these in the church are the same as those before them. And it's not new. There is nothing new. They, they rely on their dreams instead of the word of God. They defile flesh despite the commands of God. They reject authority and blaspheme God. Jude's going, same people, different faces. And these will be destroyed like those before them. It's already in the books. But before he reaches into the pages of history again for another example of these infiltrators, he, he throws out a good example to follow. Look at verse 9. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, you can study that phrase on your own, I don't have time. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So Judas saying, don't be like them. Don't be like these infiltrators, like the Israelites in the desert, like the angels who rebelled against God in heaven, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Instead, he goes, be like Michael. Michael the archangel, like if anybody had the right or felt like they had the right to rely on themselves and be powerful and mighty in and of themselves, it was Michael, but he didn't do it. If anybody thought that they could pronounce judgment without the will of God, it would be Michael, but he didn't do it. He, he always listened to God. He only did what God told him to do. Jude's point is clear. He's just saying, listen, you don't have to follow the bad people, Right? He's saying there are these infiltrators, there are these deceivers, but you don't have to follow them. There are also good examples to follow. You see, sometimes we, we are so deceived that we've got blinders on, right? And we act like these people are the only people to imitate, to follow, to be like, but there are good people to imitate. Jude is saying imitate good, not evil. It's not just about not following them, it's about finding someone who is a good example and and imitating them. So we could stay here for a while, but, but for time, we'll just keep going. Jude gives us three other examples. The, the first three were groups of people, and now he's going to give us three individuals. Look at verse 10. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them. Anytime you hear woe to you or woe to them, that's bad, okay? Everybody say, that's bad. You guys awake today? All right, that's bad. Yeah, so like it should remind us of Jesus saying to the Pharisees, woe to you, you hypocrites, right? It's, it's a warning. Jude is warning us here, and he goes, woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. 
All right, so there they are. Those are the the last three examples. Cain, Balaam, and Korah. And these are another level from the first three that he gave. And here's what I mean. The the first three were out of, they they sinned out of disobedience. They, they, They were somewhat personal disobedience. Examples of that. These last three are about the twisting of God's word. They're about teaching disobedience, not just acting in disobedience yourself. The story of Cain is in Genesis 4. Cain um, is known as the first person to commit an act of violence, the first person to murder. But it's, it's more than that. His brother Abel's offering, you know the story, it was accepted by God. It was acceptable to God. And Cain comes with his offering and God says, this is not acceptable. You need to go and give me another offering. And, and Cain gets mad, but God says, hey, don't get mad. You know what's right. Go do what is right. Go get the right offering, bring it to me, and it'll be accepted just like Abel. No big deal. And he goes, Cain, be careful because sin is crouching at the door, right? Sin is crouching at the door. God talks to him. You see, before Cain was a murderer, God taught him, spoke to him, preached to him. Cain Cain received the word of God, but then Cain, with his words and deeds, went out and preached something different. With his life, he screamed to anyone who would hear, God's word does not matter. God does not mean what he says. There is no destruction for the wicked. There is no moral compass. It doesn't matter what he says. You can do whatever you want. Jude is saying there are people within the church today who twist God's word because they don't believe God. You see, in Jude's time, the problem the church was facing was that preachers would do whatever they wanted with the word of God. They dishonored it, disbelieved it, felt they could change it. They preached contrary to it, stuck to verses that really made everybody feel good, but shied away from verses that were difficult. Preached to get crowds rather than conviction, full seats rather than full hearts, fame rather than faith. Jude is pounding this drum. Fight for faith. Stand up. Beloved, do not follow these teachers, these false teachers who don't believe the warnings and judgments of God. If you do, like Cain, you will be cursed to wander the earth, a fugitive and an outcast. He goes, don't do it. Stand up instead. Fight for the faith. We find the next one. That's Cain. We find the next one in in Numbers 31, Balaam. Balaam was good at first. Um, His donkey talked him into it, right? You guys awake this morning? Come on, donkey. All right. And I always say, if God can use a donkey, he can probably use you. Right? I mean, just take that however you want. Also, um, don't be too impressed with the vessel that God chooses to use, right? Because he can, he can speak through a donkey. So I'm just a donkey. In fact, somebody called me a donkey once. They used a different word for it. It was, a, it was a, like a synonym for donkey. Um, they were like, you're such a synonym for donkey. It was weird, but intense, okay? It was intense. But I just remember Balaam. All right, that doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about. Balaam, he was a teacher, a prophet, a preacher, and a foreign king comes to him and wants him to curse the people of God. And at first, Balaam says, no, I'm not going to curse the people of God. You can't. You can't pay me enough to do that. But the king keeps coming to him, offering more money and more money and more money. And finally, Balaam gives in and he curses 
the people of God to make a buck or two. And so Jude is saying that there are people within the church who twist God's word for selfish gain. And here's what you need to understand. We're in the same place today. We're in the same place today. Preachers teaching to tickle the ears of men and women and line their pockets with no fear of God. Ripping scriptures out of context and making them mean whatever we want them to mean. We are no different. Same people, just different faces. Do not follow them. Fight. Stand up. Balaam was killed by the Lord's army for his actions. Beloved, do not follow him to your death. Don't do it. So Cain and Balaam. Then Jude reaches back into the pages of history one last time and pulls out one more example for us. And he pulls out Korah's rebellion. That's number 16. And anytime you hear Korah's name, you should think of rebellion against God's authority, godly authority. And so he did not, Korah did not want to submit to the authority God put over him. He hated that God had put Moses and Aaron in authority and not him, that he had given the Levites authority and not him. And, and he was a persuasive guy, Korah was, because he went and got 250 leaders of the Israelites to go with him to Moses and, and rebel against Moses. And so they show up to Moses, the man that God has put in charge, Moses and Aaron, and they, they, he shows, they show up to them and they say, you've gone too far. You are doing too much. You're, you're, you're a dictator. You've gone too far. You shouldn't be making all the decisions. And Korah says something that's really interesting. He says, all of us are holy. All of us are holy. And God is with each of us. What makes you so special, Moses? Do you hear what he's saying? He's using God's words against God, right? He's pointing back to when God had said to the Israelites, I want you to be a, a, a nation of priests, holy unto me. He's pointing back to God's words and he's saying, see, you're wrong. God said we're all holy, therefore you can't lead us. You need to step down. I'll take the lead. Who are you to think that you can lead? He's twisting that to gain himself power. He refuses to submit to authority. Jude is saying there are people within the church today who twist God's word because they hate being under authority. And I've seen this play out multiple times as a pastor. Sometimes people, surprise, surprise, don't like what I do. I know you're surprised by that. You're like, what? No way. Yeah, sometimes people don't like what I do. And they come and tell me and they say, I can't. I can't submit to you. I can't submit to your leadership. I can't submit to your authority anymore. And I say something like, well, this is, you know, this is where I feel like God is leading us, and I would love for you to come. Let me, let me try to convince you. Come with us. Come this way. God's doing great things. God's leading us this way. But in the end, I say something like, listen, if you can't, I'm still going to go. I'm still going to run with those who want to run. And if you don't want to be one of those, that's okay. Let's, let's leave as unlikely friends, Right? It's okay, let's just move on. And in this kind of disagreement, this clash between what you think we should do and what the person that God has placed in authority thinks we should do, it inevitably leads to, well, what makes you so special, pastor? What makes you so special? 
Don't we all have the Holy Spirit? Are we all able to hear from God? What makes you so special? You've gone too far. There's some truth in that, right? (laughs) There's some truth. That's why it's so easily followed. That's why it's so dangerous. You don't have to go through a pastor to get to God. You can hear from God yourself. You do have the Holy Spirit, just like me and anyone else who has given their lives to Christ. But to use that to rebel against godly authority is to twist the word of God. It's Korah. Different name, different face, but it's Korah. The truth is God appoints those he wants in authority. That's what the scriptures say. You can choose to believe it or not, but that's what they say. He appoints those that he wants in authority. That's why, that's what it says. He places them in authority. It doesn't mean that the people that he places in authority somehow miraculously and immediately become perfect though, right? In fact, God places imperfect people in authority to serve and to lead an imperfect you. Think about that a second. God places imperfect people in authority to lead an imperfect you. That's the way it works. It doesn't mean they're perfect. So when you rebel against that authority, you are not rebelling against the person. You're rebelling against the God behind them. That's why it's so serious, right? You rebel against a human, not a big deal. You rebel against God, kind of a big deal, right? That's why it's so serious. And the opposite is true too. When you trust in that authority, you're not trusting in the person. You're trusting in the God who put that person in authority over you. Are you tracking with me? You're trusting the God behind them. And let's be clear. I'm not talking about asking questions or giving input or, or even challenging godly authority at times in, in a loving way. I'm talking about refusing to follow God's authority on matters of opinion and methodology. I'm talking about telling other people about it. I'm talking about gathering 250 of your friends and trying to take over the place. That's different, right? That's different. And you say, but what if I disagree? Pastor, but what if you're wrong and I've never been wrong? What about that? What if God puts somebody in authority over me who's wrong? What about that, Pastor? What if I disagree? Well, submission to authority only comes into play when you disagree. If you agree, that's great, but it's not submission. Don't don't go disagree just so that you can get into the realm of submission. That's not what I'm saying. Agreement is awesome. But disagreement is where you have to choose to submit or not. Submission is when you disagree. And yet you go forward anyway because you trust the God that has set this whole thing up. Jude is saying, don't do this. Don't let pride lead you to rebellion. It didn't go well for Korah. He was literally swallowed up by the ground. He and all of his 250 rebel buddies. On the spot. It freaked everybody out. Go read it. It freaked everybody out. They were like, is that going to happen to me? (laughs) Maybe. Freaked them out. It was not pretty. You you do not want to go this route. Beloved, do not follow the rebels into the depths of the earth. Don't do it. Instead, Stand up and fight for faith. 
Jude's given us six examples. He's been very clear, very direct, very harsh. And now he's going to tell you what he really thinks. Verse 12. Jude says, these are hidden reefs. Reefs is just a word in this context that means stain or blemish. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by the winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It's like, wow, easy, Jude, right? Easy. There's stains at your feast. There's shepherds feeding themselves while your flocks starve. They're waterless clouds, fruitless trees, twice dead. They're worthless. They're despicable, shameful, good for nothing, and they're right next to you. And then Jude goes, not only are they disobedient to God, twisting God's word and worthless, but they're also going to be destroyed. Utter darkness has been reserved for them for eternity. They will be dealt with, Jude says. It's how he started this whole thing in verse 4. These perverters of grace who long ago were designated for this condemnation. And he, he goes on in, in verse 14. He says, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Ungodly. Jude likes that word. He's going, this is ungodly. These people are ungodly. That's the opposite of what God wants them to be, right? They're ungodly and they're headed for judgment. They're headed for judgment. Look at 16. Jude tells us how to spot them. This is how you know the difference between godly preachers and teachers and false ones destined for destruction. He says, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. And if you would just take a beat and just pray for a second, you could have written verse 16, Right? I mean, I think you could have written it. You can spot these people. You know who they are. You've seen them before. There's nothing new under the sun. No temptation has overcome you except that which is common to man. We're stepping in the same piles we've been stepping in for thousands of years. You know how to spot this stuff. Jude is a pretty intense guy, right? He's serious. He's no small fry. He wants you to stand up and fight for faith. Why? Because there are forces of the enemy within the church that threaten to tear her apart and lead you astray. It was true then, and it's very true now. But but let me end this way. This whole time we've been talking about those people, right? Right? We've kept it as this thing that we're fighting against. Them, people who reject God like the Israelites in Numbers 14. People who fight against heaven like the angels. People who are are overcome with sinful desire like those at Sodom and Gomorrah. People like Cain, Balaam, Korah. But remember, this is a letter written to those inside the church. And 
Jude said in verse 4 that these people are already here. And later he said that they're at our tables eating with us, feasting with us. They're even shepherds. They're already here. They, they crept in. They play the game well. So, what if they are you? What if they are you? Maybe you're one of these people. Same people, just different faces, different names. Maybe you're one of them. Jude is writing this to help us recognize these false teachers and enemies of the faith so that we would fight, but there's a chance, maybe a good chance, that that the enemy you need to stand up and defend the faith against is yourself. There's a good chance that as we went through all of Jude's examples, you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You knew which one was yours. You knew which one was you. You're Korah, who hates authority and rebels against God's design. You want power, control, status. You're Cain, refusing the good teaching of God, going your own way, living your life as if there is no judgment, there is no judge, there is no moral authority. You're Balaam. You knew the truth at one time. You fought for the faith at one time, but you've since sold out for your own convenience, for money, for stuff, for whatever. Listen, if that's the case, then Jude's warning today should be your saving grace, right? His warning should be your saving grace. He's saying that destruction will come. Like the angels, you are waging war against heaven itself. Make no mistake, this is serious. The path of divisiveness you're on, you're working against God. Even if you've convinced yourself that you're on some kind of a holy crusade, you're working against God and destruction, Jude says, is your end. It's already in the books. It's already happened. God has dealt with you before. Same person, different face. Repent. Please repent. Confess. Confess this before God. Confess it to someone who loves you. Admit this and turn. It's not too late to turn. It's not too late to to get off the path of destruction that you're on and to turn towards God. The Bible says that there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it ends in destruction. That's a scary, that's a terrifying verse. Because it means when I'm on the path to destruction, I think it's right. You talking with me? When I'm on the path to destruction, I think it's right. So I can't be convinced. I'm not going to be able to figure this out on my own because this path looks like it's the right way. But the whole time I'm headed to destruction. The only way that you, when you're convinced of your path being the right way and yet you're on the path to destruction, the only way that you can be saved from that path is that the Holy Spirit intervenes into your life and transforms your heart and mind. That's the only way. The other way that it can happen and there are two ways, not the only way, two ways. The other way is that somebody else is on the, uh, the side of the path and you're headed towards destruction and they've seen the destruction and they're going, turn! Get off the path! I've seen the end, it's not good! Get off the path! That person on the side of the path to destruction watching you head towards hell, judgment, and death. That person is Jude. 
And he's saying, don't do it. Beloved, don't do it. Don't follow this path to destruction. Turn. It's not too late to turn to make a change, to let go of your pride and all that and stop working against God. To stand up and fight for the faith within yourself first and then become a defender of that same faith against others. Listen, no one is exempt from this. Not you and certainly not me. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you, God, for your word that is breathed out by you for us right here. It's timely. It's not some old document that has nothing to do with us. It oftentimes reads us rather than us reading it. We pray to get today that your truth would sink deep into our hearts, even difficult truth, would sink deep into our hearts and create faith. We pray today that we would be able to, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the power of the resurrection power of Christ at work in us, to heed, somehow, heed the warning of Jude. That we would stand up, that we would look around and go, this is worth it. It's worth it. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight against the cultural norms. I'm going to fight against the lies of the world. I'm going to fight against those who twist the truth right here. I'm going to fight against disobedience. I'm going to fight because it's worth it. I'm not going to allow my experiences, my feelings, my emotions to determine my truth. My truth comes from one place, and that's, that's you alone, God. Let that be the case today. Let that be real to us today, God. As we keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're in here and you... You've been fighting against heaven. As we've talked through, you're going, man, I'm headed towards destruction. That's me. I, I haven't turned. I, I'm on the path that seemed right until today, and now I'm looking and going, man, I'm, I'm on the path to destruction. I need help. I need God. I need to be transformed. Maybe you're in here, and you need to give your life over to Christ completely. Submit to him completely. If that's you, you don't need... A priest, you don't need me to pray a, a, a certain prayer in a certain way. You don't need holy water. You just need to, right where you are, just tell God right where you are. Tell him that you need him. Tell him that you've been warring against heaven. Tell him that you've been on the path to destruction. Tell him that you need him. Beg the Holy Spirit to enlighten your soul to the truth of the gospel today, to give you what you need to understand and obey. And then get up from your chair at the end of this service and start following God. Submit to him. Start fighting for faith within yourself and outside of yourself. If that's you today and you want to give your life to Christ, I really never want to do a service, never want to end church without giving people a, a chance to decide, to make a decision to get on the right side of this. If that's you, and you want to give your life to Jesus, this is your moment for that. This is your moment. It's only the beginning, but it's your moment. With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, if that's you, I would love to pray for you. Could you just raise your hand for me if that's you? You say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. Yeah, I see that hand. Anyone else? I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to make sure that 
I've submitted to his authority in my life. Yeah, I see that hand. Let's pray. In Jesus' name, we pray over those who were brave enough to raise their hand and say, I, I need Jesus today. I, I put away pride. I put away all that. I just need Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would solidify that decision, that it would be real, that it would be a Mondays or Saturday decision as much as it is a Sunday morning decision that it would transform their lives, their their lives individually and their families, their friends, just in concentric circles, that it would go out and it would impact our community. Lord, that's our prayer. Let it be real. Let them reach out to get help, to get prayer today and every day. In Jesus' name, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed a little longer, you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time, but somewhere along the way, you stopped fighting for faith. Somewhere along the way, you let false teaching get in and you started to believe some lies and you're going, man, I don't know how I got here, but this isn't who I am. This isn't what I believe. This isn't what I was taught. This isn't, and and today you you just want to get that right before God. I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. Just right where you sit, just say that to God. I need to repent. I need to turn. I need to change. I want to fight for faith, God. I want to fight for faith. If that's you, do not leave here without making that decision, without confessing that to God, without asking for his help. Repent, confess, pray. We love you, Lord. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray that this word, whatever was from you, we pray, God, that it would not quickly leave our minds and hearts, but haunt us for the rest of the week, the rest of the month, the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.